Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled. He just goes to the sun goes down. Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is about all things food. Basically, we're here at Food Chat to reconnect you to your food, where food comes from, how food gets to your table. We talk to farmers and ranchers and chefs and all kinds of people that are involved in the food industry. And I'm Greg Bloom, and I've been working in the food industry for over 30 years and I have my daughter Gretchen in studio with me today welcome Gretchen thank you thanks for having me sure and uh, you know we have some really good past shows for you to check out if you're new to food chat radio and podcast we've had some great episodes in the past on you know how to make great sauces and gravies at home um, how to pick a great wine with the interview with the I can never say the French word right sommelier I call it a psalm but a local sommelier helps us realize how to find great wines. And then we've talked to food banks, how food banks work hard every day to feed people in our communities that are food insecure. And then most recently we interviewed We Don't Waste. We Don't Waste repurposes good food so that it doesn't go into the landfill. Well, today's show <coughs> is all about hams and ribs. Hams and ribs. So it's, uh, you know, holiday time, and people are used to getting together for the holidays. You know, Easter's coming up, or Resurrection Sunday, as some prefer to call it. But uh, that's a great time to bring everyone together and your family and your neighborhood, maybe for a, a great uh, dinner or a brunch. And, uh, or maybe you're going out, you know, who knows. But, you know, there's a lot to know about hams. So today, Gretchen and I are going to talk about hams for the first half of the show, and then how to make killer baby back ribs at home every time. So here we go. Uh, Gretchen, uh, let's, uh, let's get into our ham discussion. Okay, awesome. Well, I know that there are lots of different types of hams, but I'm curious to know how people know exactly what they're buying um, when they're picking out a ham. Great question. So there's three kinds of hams mainly that people need to be aware of when they're buying a ham or, you know, being served a ham at a restaurant or a deli. So there's natural juice hams, water added hams and ham and water hams so those are the three natural juice are the nicest most expensive best quality hams. so before i get into the definition gretchen of the each of those the the way you know which one you're getting is reading the label the label the front and the back will say some information that's key to help you know what time of ham you're buying so the natural juice hams are the most expensive and this just means that the natural juice from cooking the ham uh, is in the is in the ham there's no other uh, moisture added to the ham or water or anything like that these are the best hams for heating up like you're you're gonna serve it hot now everybody needs to know that all hams are all cooked all the time there's no such thing as a, a raw ham uh, very rare in the market would you see a raw ham all hams will say on the label that they're fully cooked so this is a great ham for your heating up and you're gonna carve it up and and serve it uh, hot that's great and then there's the water added ham these are um, the labels gonna say 
water added, and then it's going to say what percent of water added. They'll say 10% water added or 12% water added. These are really good all-around versatile hams, and they're cheaper than natural juice hams. Um, these kind of hams are okay to heat up. Um, they're, they're just not as great as a natural juice ham. You know, a natural juice ham, you might spend $50, $60, $70 on the ham, uh, or even more if you buy it from a, a company that prepares it for you, and you just pick it up and serve it. But a water-added ham is going to be, you know, about 20 bucks per ham less. And then there's the last one at the bottom, which really isn't good to serve hot. It's called a ham and water. Now, what is a ham and water ham? That's all the bits and pieces of the things they have from making hams and leftover from um, the carcass line when they're, when they're cutting up pig parts in the plants. They grind these up and they add the bits and pieces back into the ham. Nothing wrong with it. It's a great way to utilize all the parts and pieces of trim. Um, but this is a deli ham for slicing uh, for sandwiches cold. It does not make a good ham to be heated up. So people could sometimes have a really bad experience. They buy a cheap ham, a ham and water product. They heat it up in the oven, and it's just tough and dry and not good. So it's really just good for deli meat. So there, Gretchen, there's your three types of hams, your natural juice ham, your water-added ham, and your uh, ham and water ham. Awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for explaining that. Um, so I'm also curious as to how hams are made, um, just the process that goes into that, and uh, whether or not frozen hams are as good as fresh hams, or what the taste difference is between them, if any. Yeah, well, so a hams are made by forming them in a net, so that's why the ham has the shape that it does. That's not a natural shape. That's been formed purposefully by hanging the muscles um, in the um, ham net, and then they go into a smokehouse and cooker on, on racks and they're hanging, kind of like hot dogs are made and sausages are made. You'd be kind of see them hanging and then they're hanging on pegs. Then when they're fully cooked, they strip off the ham netting and then <clears throat> then the, the ham now keeps its shape because it's fully cooked now. So that's, that's how hams are made and they're made from, you know, typically the shoulder, the front shoulder of the, of the, the carcass, the pig, and then the back, um, you know, the, the Boston bud or the, um, the picnic typically, but they can be made from all kinds of parts and pieces. It, very few hams are, are whole muscle hams. Maybe just the natural juice hams would be a whole muscle ham. So other hams are just parts and pieces that are formed together in that net. But about your question about frozen and fresh hams, um, you know, there's a lot of meats, especially raw meats, that are perfectly good when they're frozen and then slacked out or thawed out. But Gretchen, with the ham... It's a great idea just to get a fresh ham because a frozen ham, when it's been thawed out and then reheated, can be dry. And there's ways to help it not be dry by covering the ham in foil and putting some apple juice in the pan to keep it moist. But I don't recommend people um, use a frozen ham. Um, but, you know, if you got a ham and you didn't use it and, you know, someone gave it to you or you didn't need it, you froze it, it's okay. It's just not as good. Gotcha, that makes sense. And so, are spiral hams a different kind of ham, or what What makes a spiral ham different from a normal ham? Yeah, that's a great question. Spiral hams are so popular and so delicious. Um, and spiral hams are normally the natural juice ham or the water-added ham, um, but then they put them on a machine. That's a really cool machine. It's a laser machine that can cut them very precise, round and round the bone, and uh, so you got a bone-in 
spiral ham or a boneless spiral ham. And by the way, if you can, serve a bone-in ham to your guests or buy one that's bone-in because even though you're paying for the bone, um, <clears throat> you, the price per pound is a little bit less than if you were buying a bone-less ham. But the bone has a lot of flavor in it. And when you heat that ham back up, it's just delicious. Plus, you can take that bone and all the scraps left over from when you cut your spiral ham all up and you put that in a pot with some water and now you've got a great base to make some bean and ham soup or lentil and ham soup and it's just delicious. So you get a whole nother meal out of it. So I recommend people buy the bone-in spiral ham and the spiral hams are great um, because they're just easier to use. I like them because then you don't have to cut the ham. It's like, can you imagine getting a turkey for Thanksgiving and it's already all sliced up for you. Wouldn't that be great? Well, that's what they did with the ham. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it certainly makes it a lot easier and I can attest to how good those ham soups you make are, so. Yeah, I love those ham soups. So where can people find a good ham to buy? Is it just at their local grocery store or where's the best place? So the best place to find a good ham <coughs> is from um, your local grocery store because they actually do have some really high quality hams and you know Costco sells a great spiral ham um, I don't remember if it's in their label it might say the Kirkland label um, you know um, my company wholesale meat company ranchfreshmeats.com sells hams but we don't sell hams in in eaches you have to buy them by the case well most people don't need four hams for Easter unless you got a really big family but if you want to buy a whole case of hams uh, you can go to our website and email us. But but in general, most people just eat one ham. So I would encourage people to go to their local grocery store and just find a good quality um, spiral ham. And actually, there are very few spiral hams in the marketplace that aren't good quality anymore. They're all, they're all pretty good. Yeah, that's great to know. It's great to... Um have options in the in the grocery store so thanks for all that info yeah i think i've exhausted my um <coughs> repertoire of ham knowledge for now we could get into production issues but i think for most people um it's more interesting just to talk about and hear about um, the different kinds of ham so they know what kind of ham they're buying but read that label so now gretchen let's transition into ribs ribs yes you make the best ribs so are there different types of ribs there are so there's um baby back ribs or back ribs i think chili's made the phrase baby back ribs with their song i love my baby back baby back that but there's a great campaign i don't know why they still don't do that but there's back ribs and there's spare ribs so what's the difference well spare ribs come from the belly of the pig they're the ribs behind the bacon and i i help people remember that by you know how when we eat too many bagels and we eat too many carbs and we just eating too many donuts, we get a spare tire. Well, that spare tire we're carrying around is on our stomach. So the spare tire is where the spare ribs come from. It's the front of the belly uh, ribs. But then the back ribs are just exactly what, the, what they're described to be. They're the back. They're the back of the, the animal. So they're back ribs. That's why they're different. There's, so there's spare ribs and there's back ribs. And people can do either one for the recipe that I'm going to describe on how to cook these perfect every time. But I like the back ribs better than the spare ribs. Now, there's also, Gretchen, a, a kind of rib called a, a St. Louis rib. You ever heard of a St. Louis rib? No, I don't think so. So a St. Louis rib is the 
pork industry term for a spare rib that's been squared up and made into a nice perfect rectangle because a spare rib off of the carcass, the pig, it doesn't have a great shape. It's kind of weird shape and, and not like symmetrical. So they square it up and call it a St. Louis rib. Um, especially common in food service, so a restaurant would order St. Louis ribs, which is a spare rib, okay? That's a spare rib. But back ribs, um, they're always back ribs. And um, I, you can do either one of these recipes with a spare rib or a back rib, but I, I like a back rib better. They're usually a little more consistent and a little less fatty um, than, than, than a spare rib. So That makes sense. So would you say the yeah. ribs taste different um, depending on where they come from on the animal? I know the fat content might play a role in that but would you be able to tell what kind of rib you're eating well i've met some people that really like uh the fattiness of the the spare rib better they they like that that flavor because fat adds flavor right so they like that so um i would say um yeah they're they are a little bit different um and i i have a preference for the back ribs but i would encourage people to try both so here's what you do you're at the supermarket and you're looking to see what's on sale because you want to buy ribs when they're on sale. Now, when you, when you buy ribs, understand that most of the time, I would say 100% of the time, they've been previously frozen and they're thawed out at the retail store. So when you buy in that fresh rib, it's not really fresh. It's been thawed out, okay? A lot of meat that's sold in retail is like that. So so um, whatever is on sale, buy. If, if, if spare ribs are on sale for $1.99, buy those. If back ribs are on sale for $2.99, buy those. Uh, whatever's on sale. Now, normally, back ribs are more expensive than spare ribs per pound. Um, and sp- back ribs are smaller, too, and kind of fit in the pan better. Um, so um, it's just really personal preference, but I, I think that um, um, both are good. So are you ready for the, the, the famous recipe, Gretchen, that I've cooked for you hundreds of times? Yes. <clears throat> yes, I am. I'm I'm excited to learn how you do it because I only get to taste it at the end well do you remember some of the things that i have on the countertop at home when i'm ready to do this well i know you always buy a lot of apple juice that's the only thing i really remember and some barbecue sauce and stuff like that right so it's just super simple you just need a roasting pan the same kind of one that has high sides on it that you'd cook a turkey in so um at least a two or three inch um sided roasting pan and then salt and pepper apple juice and foil that's it that's all you need. So typically, because we're going to cook these for six to eight hours, um, low and slow, low temperature for a long period of time so that they really fall off the bone and they're just super tender, um, you're going to do this at night. Um, you could do it in the morning. You could do this early in the morning and then put them in the oven all day long and have them for dinner. That's great, too. I like to do them at night. I like to put them in late at night, like close to midnight, and then pull them out at six or seven, eight in the morning, and then the whole house smells just so yummy in the morning when you get up. But regardless, you need to have um, these in the oven for six to eight hours. And by the way, we'll post this recipe at um, foodchat.us. So our website is www.foodchat.us for past episodes where you can hear more about our past episodes. And then this recipe will be on this uh, episode. But you just take the, the, the ribs that you've bought, you open up the bag, and then you put them in the roasting pan, and then just salt and pepper on both sides, and then um, put about, oh, maybe an inch of apple juice. You're not covering the ribs with apple juice. In fact, don't do that. Don't put so much apple juice in that you cover the ribs 
because then when the ribs cook, some of the natural juice and the fats come out of the ribs and then it'll overflow in your oven. That would be a mess. So what happens if you don't have apple juice? You can just use water and honey. I just put about an inch of water in there and then I put I just squirt honey all over the top of the ribs and it gets on the meat in the water. So super simple. And then you cover it with foil. Really tight. Foil real tight. So a couple a couple layers of, don't have any gaps in there and then and then crimp the foil around the side. And then in the oven, Gretchen, for um, about six to eight hours at 225 degrees. It could be 200 if you want to go longer or 250 if you want to go shorter. But 225, I found, is the best temperature. And if you pull them out, Gretchen, at about six hours, they're, they're really good and tender, but they're not fall off the bone. And you know how we all like them to just fall off the bone. Then, then we're going to um, cook them for eight hours. So that's, that's pretty much the first step. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's helped make the meat tender. Yeah, I think the biggest secret is just the low and slow, and then you're covering them, and you're cu- and you're putting the juice in there. So now your your ribs have been in the oven for six to eight hours. So you just pull them out, let them cool for maybe twenty minutes on the top of the stove. I peel the foil back to let all the heat out, and then when that ho- foil is peeled back, I pour that juice off into a container and discard it. Or you could pour it down the drain, but um, I, don't, I don't like to pour it down my drain. I actually pour it into a container and then um, pour it outside in the dirt is what I do with it. But you can do whatever you want, whatever is easier. And then, so now you've got your ribs. They're all fully cooked. There's no, there's no juice in there anymore. It's all been drained. And then you just pour your barbecue sauce on top. You spoon it on or, or squirt it on and then move it around with a wooden spoon. Or if you have a brush, I paint it on. I just use a small paintbrush that I use just for this purpose. And then... You finish them on your grill outside where you're going to kind of get a nice black char or at least um, get a nice um, thick coating of barbecue sauce. I kind of like it burnt a little bit, a little blackened as that ketchup in the barbecue sauce gets kind of black. But, you know, like uh, five minutes on each side. Or if it's wintertime or you don't have a grill outside, you can just put them back in the oven, but this time at high heat, like on the broiler setting and then don't walk away. Just watch these so they don't burn. But the broiler setting for a few minutes on each side or, or 500 degrees in the oven uncovered just to get that barbecue sauce kind of thickened and coated well. And then you pull them out and let them cool for five few, few minutes. And then you serve them. And they are delicious. They sure are. I can definitely attest to how, how good these ribs are. They're tender and you have that crispy bark on the outside that just makes them super good so they're fun fun summer um well really any time of the year but i guess it's it's not as fun to go out to your barbecue when it's freezing cold outside right well we kind of do them in the in the in the winter we do them in the in the uh, the whole thing in the house mm. we we do even put the barbecue sauce and kind of burn the barbecue sauce on uh, while they're in the oven inside but in the summer or the you know when the weather's nicer we're out using our gas grill to do that. And, uh, you know, you can, um, one little thing, people that have smoker grills, um, you can finish them on your pellet smoker, but they don't turn out great. They get leathery. So if you want to put some smoke flavor in your back ribs or spare ribs, put them on your pellet smoker, uh, salt and pepper on both sides, put them on your pellet smoker on the smoke setting, the low setting only, for 15 to 30 minutes. But after 30 minutes, what's going to happen is the meat has already absorbed all the smoke that it's going to. So they're, not, they're just going to get leathery and tough at that point. 
and then your ribs will be chewy and they'll have kind of like a skin on them that's very undesirable so if you want to put some smoke flavor which is great um i i'm all for that i do that sometimes i use my traeger and put them on the smoke setting for 15 20 minutes then i put them in that turkey roaster pan and then the apple juice and then the foil and i put them in the oven but don't try to finish your back ribs uh, or your spare ribs on your traeger it just really really won't work and then you could put the roasting pan on your traeger and turn it to 225 for 68 hours but that's a lot of pellet fuel um and if you run out of pellets then it's going to stall and kind of ruin them so I would not recommend people um, try to start and finish them on a on a Traeger grill, um, but that that's just me. So that's my experience. No, that's great to know. Now, would you? I know sometimes when we have ribs, there's leftovers. So would you recommend heating up those leftovers? I know sometimes if you put it in the microwave, it, it might get a little um, more tough. Or, or do you recommend eating cold? Or, or what do you like to do with the leftovers? Yeah, well, I think that ribs are a great thing to batch cook um, and freeze. So, you know, if they're on sale um, at the store and you're going to cook them anyway, then cook two panfuls, you know, and put you can typically put three or four, depending on the size of the ribs, into a turkey roaster pan. It depends on the size of your, your pan, but usually three or four. And uh, one thing I forgot to say is that some people on YouTube channels that are showing ribs will talk about skinning the ribs or pulling this thin membrane of fat, or it's actually not fat, but it's like a, a layer of skin, white skin. Um, it's not skin, but it's just a, a membrane between the muscles. And they'll talk about peeling that off. Well, that's really unnecessary. You you could do it, but you're not eating it anyway because it's on the bone side. So I just take a knife and I score it. I score it. And so um, I'll have Gretchen post um, on uh, foodchat.us a video, a link to a video where I'm showing this. I'm demonstrating this. But you don't need to peel the back ribs. And then with spare ribs, that, that membrane's not there. So, But I know a lot of like professional chefs, let's talk, they'll talk about doing that. But it's really, really unnecessary. So you've got now your, your two pans of ribs and then... Yeah, cook them up, and then, um, you know, when you're turning them over um, on your grill at the end or after they've come out of the oven for six to eight hours, they are fall off the bone. You have to be super careful with your tongs. You really can't only turn them with tongs by grabbing them when you're turning them over to maybe put sauce on both sides, and they're just falling apart. In fact, some of the bones will just fall out of the meat, which is great. But it's a great thing to just leave these on the counter after they come out of the oven with the sauce or they come off your grill with the sauce. Let them cool down to room temperature for maybe, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And then put them in Ziploc bags. And then um, if you have an air vacuum sealer machine, that's a great thing to use. Most people don't have that. So just use a Ziploc freezer bags and gallon bags and put your ribs in there, maybe four or five ribs per section or whatever however you want to do it. Or you can even cut them up in between each rib so you have one rib things. And then you freeze them and they're good for you know a long time um but that that then you've got an easy uh, easy dinner you just thaw on a thaw down on the countertop and then and then you know you can put them in the microwave or you can reheat them in the oven but then you don't have to do that whole thing again so i would highly encourage people when you're cooking ribs to do batches it just really makes a lot of sense um and then you know how you know how this is gretchen so you have guests over for dinner and they're always wowed by the ribs. They're like, wow, these are the best ribs I've ever had. And, you know, you, you tell them your secret recipe, which I just shared here. 
Um, <clears throat> and then uh, they always want to take some home. Like, mm-hmm. can we take some home? Me you do. know, and then we love having leftover ribs for the next day. Yeah, um, it's one of one of our favorite things is is leftover ribs the next day. So, definitely batch cook your ribs. That's awesome. Yes, that's that's so true. That people always want the leftovers <laughs> when they taste them. So I have one more question for you: Is apple juice the only juice that you should use, or, or can you experiment with like different flavor infusions? Maybe. I don't know, cranberry juice, or have you ever tried that, or is that, um, is, is apple juice special in this area? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I've never tried any other juice besides apple juice, and it's kind of an industry knowledge in the food service industry and the pork community that apple juice is a great juice for this method. But, you know, I first started doing just water. I would just put an inch of water in the pan, and then someone told me, Hey, try apple juice, and they turn out better. Now, it could be apple juice or apple cider. Apple juice is 100% juice, and apple cider is a juice mixed with uh, water. Either one will work fine. But, you know, I've never tried any of the other cranberry juice or any of the dark-colored juices. So people could experiment and try. Maybe that would be a great a great thing. Um, I wouldn't use a juice like that would overwhelm it, like prune juice or a thick juice. But maybe, maybe cran. Uh, cranberry juice or a cran apple juice would be good. Yeah, that would be that'd be interesting to do. Um, their thing I wanted to tell people is they might have heard of Danish back ribs or extra small baby back ribs. And where does the word baby back w- comes from? Well, ribs are different sizes. When you buy ribs um, in the wholesale meat business or as a restaurateur, you can tell you, you can order different sizes of ribs. Uh, that means how big each rib is, and uh, it's kind of made. The smaller the ribs, the better. The better they look on the plate. You know, you can go to a barbecue place and get a whole rack of ribs for like $30 or a half slab of ribs for for $18. Well, they like those smaller racks, the smaller slabs. So um, in the the EU, Danish back ribs from Denmark were kind of made famous because the pigs are small there. So that's where the word Danish back ribs come from. Very hard to find those in this market. But in this market, you can find ribs that are smaller, do they taste any better than bigger ribs? No, they don't. Um, So buy whatever ones are on sale. And when you're picking out that rib at the retail store, I look to make sure that the vacuum seal on the bag it's in is intact. You want that skin on the plastic to be super tight to the meat. If it's not super tight to the meat, there's room in there, and you can see the juice moving around, that's called a leaker, and you don't want to buy the leaker. Um, but uh, I just look for nice ribs with not too much fat and uh, and make sure they're not a leaker. And other than that, that's, you're good to go. So I think I've pretty much, Gretchen, exhausted my rib knowledge for today. And so I hope people will try this recipe and they can find it at, um, at uh, foodchat.us, www.foodchat.us. And Gretchen, I hope you will try this rib recipe because you have been spoiled because I always make this. But now the next time we do it, I'm going to have you do it. I'm going to have you cook them. <laughs> okay. Yes, I'm down to cook it. You'll have to walk me through the process. But hopefully I can get them better than yours. Well, I don't know um, if they will be better, but we'll see. We'll have a, <laughs> a rib contest at home. Well, everyone, we're out of time. Thanks for listening to Food Chat today. And we hope to see you on our next episode at foodchat.us. Today's Food Chat episode is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com finds the best quality beef in the marketplace, but not only beef, bison and chicken 
and lamb and all kinds of great proteins that come from family farms that we know personally. And if not the farm, then the USDA plant. So go to ranchfreshmeats.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter because at the every week we pull a name at random and give away a box of meat. Ranchfreshmeats.com. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring The turn from green to that harvest honey Hold one up for the banker downtown They got him on his feet with handshake of money Here's to the farmer's wife That loves him every night Raising a son, raising a daughter Gather round the table, send it up to the Father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.